0: Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you will want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American board certified plastic surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein.
1: Welcome to the show. Welcome to New Reflections. We are starting part two this week of a special on the lifestyle lift. A lifestyle lift, a real lift or a letdown? Last week, we did part one and spoke to a number of patients and Dr. Stephen Preneville about his opinion on the lifestyle lift and his experience in dealing with patients that have had it. We heard some interesting stories, sometimes shocking stories, about things that patients have experienced in dealing with lifestyle lifts. This show is, is really packed. And last week, We bypassed all commercials. This week, we're going to do the same. We're not going to have any commercials, so we can have the maximum amount of time on the air to tell you our stories, uh, have the patients share their stories, and and share the information that we've learned in our investigation. Uh, I'm joined again by my co-host, Sheree Wagner. Sheree, welcome back to the show.
2: Hi. How are you?
1: I'm great. Uh, Well, we're going to talk about Lifestyle Lift, and last week, we were finishing with uh, Dr. Stephen Preneville. We asked him to come back. Unfortunately, he's traveling and would not be able to make it to the show today. But I wanted to play one clip. He was speaking about the corporate practice of medicine. I want you to hear his comment towards the end of the show. Um, I feel uh, what
3: lifestyle represents, in my opinion, is the practice of corporate medicine, whereby you have hired uh, sales uh, people similar to somebody in a, in a car dealership or, let's say, a real estate office who are trained. Uh, to give you uh, a certain description of what's going to happen and, uh, and make a, a medical decision effectively uh, for what's going to happen to you um, based on a product which is um, uh, not entirely truthful in its advertising.
1: Now, it, it's, it's that corporate practice of medicine and the truth in advertising issues that we're going to talk about today. I mentioned last week the Lifestyle Lift is investigated by the Attorney General's office in and now currently in Florida. We did some research on the New York Attorney General's Office Investigation. That, that was uh, headed up by the director uh, who was uh, a deputy attorney general for economic justice, Mr. Michael Berlin. That was This was in July of 2009. It, they levied a $300,000 fine on Lifestyle List for posting anonymous positive reviews that were determined to have come from Lifestyle List employees. Uh, they were apparently, according to the uh, reports on the investigation, they were directed to do that by management. In fact, the Attorney General of New York, uh, Mr. Cuomo, made this statement. He said, quoting, This company's attempt to generate business by duping, costa- duping consumers was cynical, manipulative, and illegal. End quote. Uh, that was their determination after a long investigation. And now there's an investigation in the state of Florida, where the Attorney General's office of state of Florida, uh, also looking in the Department for Economic Crimes, uh, is investigating lifestyle and some of their practices. Some of the things that we've learned about last week with our guests perhaps uh, playing into that investigation. Uh, I'm aware of things such as uh, the patients not signing their own their own uh, charge slips is something that the Attorney General's office is looking into. Now I spoke, with mr gregory jackson the attorney general's office he is not available for a live comment today but he did speak with me off the air and he said that they're they're being investigated for deceptive and unfair business practices the, the investigation i believe was launched in june of 2010 based upon consumer complaints and they're receiving information not only from patients in florida but patients in many states the uh... Marketing of the Lifestyle List apparently at one time was centered in Florida, according to Mr. Jackson, and has since been moved to Michigan, Uh, but in the time that it was in Florida, their television, radio, and in fact, even direct person-to-person marketing that was done was uh, directed from an office in Florida, and that is the basis for the investigation. I know many of the patients that we've heard from have been involved in that investigation, and some of the patients that we'll talk to today are also in, uh, giving testimony to that investigation. That is an ongoing investigation, the Lifestyle List. And if you have information that you'd like to share with uh, the Office of the Attorney General in Florida, I urge you to give them a call. You can find information on the web and uh, share your story if you think it's appropriate. Now, we're talking about the corporate practice of medicine. I received a letter, and this letter was sent to many doctors. I know that uh, Dr. Prinneville, in fact, also received this letter in speaking to him. This letter is a solicitation to hire doctors, and the the way that they're uh, putting forth the opportunity is saying that you can basically work part-time and make a tremendous amount of money just giving two days a week to the Lifestyle Lift offices. You know, don't give up your own practice, compact it down, and then give us two days, and you'll make a lot of money. In fact, the, the example they cite is in the fourth quarter of 2010, our top part-time doctor made $107,000. Annualized, that's over $400,000 working, and it's underlined just two days a week with an exclamation point. Clearly selling, yeah, amazing, clearly selling uh, the idea that it's high volume, you can make a lot of money, And that was the the selling point to the doctors and trying to get doctors really not trying to recruit doctors for full-time positions in this letter, but rather looking for people to come and fill holes and just be a hired gun, as it seems, to come and do the surgery two days a week and then keep your private practice going. And this also uh, relates to some of the things that we've heard about the doctors being, for the most part, if not completely independent contractors. The lifestyle list. The patients don't have a doctor to go to for, um, for, you know, some security, really. It's just lifestyle list. Lifestyle list doesn't carry the, uh, the medical legal liability as much, I, I would because the doctor's the one doing the surgery, but the doctor's only an, is an independent contractor, not an employee of lifestyle lift. So I think, again, it's the, the corporate practice of medicine laying in here, and it, it just seems to me, at least my opinion, is that the patient seems to come second and making the sale and keeping the business running seems to come first. And that's certainly a, a choice they can make, but it's, a, in my opinion, not the best choice from a patient's perspective. And a little bit later we'll talk about some of the things I learned in speaking with doctors that had worked for Lifestyle Lift. Unfortunately, no one was willing to come on the air live, but they did uh, They did allow me to interview them, and we'll, we'll hear what a couple of different doctors had to say about their experience with Lifestyle Lift. Now, I want to get to our first patient uh, of the day. Uh, I want to welcome Linda to the call. Linda's on the phone. Linda, welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here today.
1: Well, we're glad to have you. Linda, we've heard from three patients last week. I'd like to go through what your story is. Tell us, what were you looking for when you went to Lifestyle Lift?
4: Well, I was looking for a lift um, without an abrasive uh, procedure. Something that I could get right back to work at, uh, as a hire suggests that you can do. And um, it was uh, a lot of sales pitching. Once I got to the office, uh, I felt like I was, they were was trying to sell me a used car. Uh, they put me in a room, isolated room, and just pushed the fact that I had to get it done and that I what a great candidate I was at my age, which I was 59 at that time. And, um, had it done in November of 08. They stressed what a great, great candidate I was, that I would have amazing results, that I would be just perfect. Um, I pretty much bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. Um, the girl wore a white coat, as I understand, she was just a physicians consultant.
1: Right. Um, about that last week. The physician consultant thing, it seems to be confusing to lots of people. How did you feel? What did you think her role was when you first started speaking with her? What did you perceive her to be?
4: I pretty much perceived her as being somewhat of a physician's uh, assistant. I didn't perceive, you know, feeling her as being a doctor, but definitely that she was in the medical field
1: practicing
4: right. medicine.
5: Right.
1: Yeah, so she, because she's wearing a white coat, you felt that uh, it probably uh, she must be somehow medically trained.
4: Correct, correct, absolutely. And um, so when you get you in here I think you're very vulnerable. That you, you know, you're at that point in your life where you need some kind of a a lift to um to proceed with uh, life. You know, I had just lost my job. And um, at 59, uh, with the economy the way it is and has been, it's it's difficult anyway. So I thought, well, this might be exactly what I need.
1: All right. Well, uh, tell me, when you decided to have the procedure, had you seen the doctor yet?
4: No, I had not. Okay. Um, I I did not meet up with the doctor until uh, my second consultation because I had a lot of questions. I... I'm not a brain surgeon, but I'm definitely educated enough to know and to do uh, research on it. And in doing so, I my main consideration was I wanted someone that could I could actually physically meet, that's had it done, and that would be willing to talk to me. You know, I said, I understand privacy and what have you, but you're more than welcome to get out my number. Don't give me anyone's patient's number. Have someone call me. Well, this took... Numerous calls and numerous emails trying to get their office to give me someone. In the end result, the only person they could give me was a lady out of their brochure, which later on I found out was nothing more than their office manager for Lifestyle Lent. Uh, and I said, I, when I found that out, I said, Well, this isn't good enough. I want some, you know, a more, normal, everyday person that's had it done like myself. Well, then they connected me with someone out of Jacksonville, which was no way I could meet with that person or know who that person was or any personal one-to-one conversation about the lifestyle lift. So that led me nowhere. And at that point, I should have threw up a real red flag, there's something wrong here. And you cannot give someone that, you know, a patient that's had it done to satisfy.
1: Well, but ultimately you decided to go ahead and do the procedure. Now, when you came for your procedure... Tell me, when you have you yet met a doctor? No, I had not. And when you got there for the day of the procedure, a lot of patients mentioned they were taking medication. When did you take your medications?
4: They had given me medication to take, which I took when I got up that morning, and um, I also took one the night before, one in the morning, and then one when I got to their office.
1: Okay, and that's, that's pretty much what other patients told me that they would do, and then after taking, you, again, you didn't, you had not yet signed your consent forms or met anybody, you just got to the office, had already taken a couple pills, so when you signed your consent forms, you were already feeling kind of relaxed.
4: Correct. Mm-hmm. And
1: when
4: Correct. did you meet the doctor? I meet the do- I met the doctor in, in the actual room where the procedure was taking place, um, he did meet with me briefly in the room prior to actually starting the procedure, and another thing I want to bring up is the fact that this quick and easy way out took me five hours, so it's huh. not an in-and-out procedure. Um, so the, it was not, it was
1: not a, this was not the one-hour procedure that you were hoping for?
4: Correct. Absolutely. Um You know, and I I can understand things happening that might delay it in in some form or fashion, but five hours is a long time from the time that they give you that it would take. And once I did meet the doctor, he's telling me his whole life story about him living in Jacksonville and how upset his wife was and how I was going to be the last procedure of the day and his last one for lifestyle lift because his wife didn't want him making the commute all the time. So I, you know, I, I mean, this is at the point where I'm getting ready to have surgery, and he's telling me his life story, which I could have cared less about. Yeah. So I, thought that was very, yeah I thought that was very unprofessional, um, to say the least.
1: Okay. And uh, how about your results when you were done? What was your experience like after the procedure?
4: Well, my, it was none. I had no results. You know, when I went back, uh, if I can back up just for a moment, when they was giving me my uh, shots to numb my face, they started cutting before I was even numb. So I started screaming, oh, my God, stop, you know, because this is killing me. I mean, I, I just felt like I was going to die right there. And, um, you know, I told him I'm not numb. So then he starts to perceive on giving me a whole bunch more shots. But once the procedure was done and the nightmare was done, I might add, not the procedure, the nightmare was done, um, I had no results. Uh, I went back uh, after having it done. They took pictures, and when they're taking pictures, it was so misleading, also because um, they lift the chin when they're taking your picture and they push, make you push your, for, your, your chin and your face outward. So it's like a manipulative type of picture they're taking. And on my pictures, you can see how unhappy I am, and they totally agreed that the procedure didn't take. I have scarring going down my earlobe into my chin, and they totally agreed it didn't take, and they wanted to do it again.
1: And with, how did you feel about that?
4: Well, absolutely not. I'm not going to have someone butcher me a second time and have no results. Um, one well, of the times I went back.
1: Where do you I mean, stand now? Have you had this redone?
4: No, I can't afford to. As I said, I got lost my job, so therefore, you know, right now I'm working a part time job that's like half of what I used to make. Um, so so
5: the next, did they repay for this? They didn't offer to pay for it the second time since it didn't take the first time. Oh yes, they said that they would pay for it. I mean,
4: I wouldn't have to pay okay. anything. But but that was beside the point. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to have someone cut me up again.
2: Exactly. I feel the again.
4: same. And, yeah, right. and, and I'm so, still having...
1: Did you ask, did you ever try and seek a refund? Yes, I did. And did you receive I, one? I,
4: yes, I did. I received a complete refund. They they totally agreed that it didn't take and that the procedure was refundable. Wow. Uh,
1: it's... It's just remarkable to me as a, as a plastic surgeon to hear so many of these stories um, coming through you know, from the same place. Uh, well, Linda, if you can stay with us, we actually have our next guest. If you'd like to join the conversation, we've got Marion on hold. If we can bring Marion to the show, you can stay and maybe uh, compare notes. Would you be able to stay with us for a little bit? I would love to do
4: that, but I really, as I have to say, I have a part time job, and I'm just on my break, so I have to get back to work,
1: but it's been a All pleasure. Right, well, I appreciate you taking your time and joining us. Linda, you know, your story sounds a lot like the ones we've heard, and, you know, one after another, we're hearing a, a running theme, it seems, of similar experiences in dealing with uh, the lifestyle lift and getting procedures done. Thanks for joining us today, Linda.
4: Thank you, and if I can be of any more help to anyone else out there, please feel free to put me back on air.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
4: You're welcome. Bye now.
1: Marion, I'd like to welcome you to the show.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm well. Thanks for calling in. We just heard a little bit of us speak with Linda, and I wanted to ask you, what were you looking for when you went to the Lifestyle Lift?
2: Well, I was looking for results like I see advertised in their um their pictures, Um, there were really spectacular results, real definite results, removal of jowls and um, um, the thickening of the skin underneath my chin, like a double chin. Um, The results that I had seen in pictures were really great, and that's what I was expecting to have.
1: And so when you went for your consultation, tell us about that. What was that experience like?
2: Um, They were um, very pleasant and talkative. And any questions I had uh, about am I going to have these types of results, oh, absolutely, there's no problem. Um, We can guarantee that you're going to have the same types of results that you see in these pictures.
1: So you felt pretty comfortable at the consultation. You decided to go ahead and have it done.
2: I did. I had um, been looking for a while to have something done, and I had um, compared with other plastic surgeons um, the same type of procedure and price-wise, and they were, you know, a couple of thousand dollars less for the same procedure. So um, that's why I decided to go with Lifestyle Lift.
1: So you figured you save money. The results look great. It's a short procedure. You understood it to be a fairly simple process. Had you ever met a doctor prior to deciding to have the procedure done?
2: Yes, actually, I did speak with the doctor um, probably a month before I had the procedure, and it was the same doctor who actually performed the surgery.
1: Right, right. And uh, information you got when you were speaking to the doctor, he or she mirrored the same information that you had received from the consultant?
2: Oh, absolutely. And the consultant was in there most of the time um, with the doctor and myself.
1: I see. Uh, so when it came time for the day of your procedure, and we've heard many patients now say that they took medications first uh, when they were on their way and then another one when they got there, is that what they had you do as well?
2: Uh, no, actually when I got in there... Um, They gave me medication after the doctor. The doctor gave me medication when I got in there. Um, Okay. I was almost denied um, having the procedure that morning. When I went in and the technician took my blood pressure, it was 168. And um, she said, oh, your blood pressure is really high. I don't think we can proceed, but I'll bring the doctor in and he'll discuss it with you.
1: Now, do you have a history of
2: high blood pressure? I do, but uh, it's controlled with medication, and they were aware of that from the very first time I visited.
1: Sure, sure. Well, you know, uh, people with high blood pressure can certainly have procedures done if it's well controlled, but it's a little worrisome, particularly for a facelift if you have high blood pressure because it can lead to increased bleeding.
2: Well, and that's exactly what happened during the course of the procedure.
1: Well, tell us about that.
2: Um. He, when the doctor came in, I was expecting to reschedule, but he never said a word to me. He just said, Here, take these. He gave me two pills, which he didn't even identify what they were. I found out later they were a couple of Valium. Um, and the next thing I knew, I, I had, you know, it just put me out. I, I didn't know that Valium would make me, you know, unconscious, but it did. <laughs> Um, and the next thing I know, I came to, and he was working on me, um, and I felt a really a lot of pressure on my left side um, of my chin uh, ear, earlobe area, and um, then he stopped what he was doing, and he attended to that. And it, from although he never told me what happened, I I'm pretty sure that a blood vessel burst. Um, in the area where he had already stitched up. So he had to reopen that and cauterize, clean out and cauterize the um, vein or vessel that was bleeding and then stitch me back up, and then he continued on with what he was
1: doing. Um, In the meantime, that that area was no longer numb. I was just going to ask you that. He had already completed that side, gone to the other so your anesthesia at that point probably had been wearing off. It had done. been
2: wearing off, and they had a, a cloth over my eyes, so I couldn't make eye contact. I couldn't. Uh, I was afraid to open my mouth because I was afraid it would damage <laughs> more what he was doing. Um, so I made hand signals. I made signals with my feet and legs to let him know I was in pain, and he said he had already used the amount of anesthetic that he was allowed to use and couldn't couldn't give me any more. Yeah, so the rest wonderful. of the procedure was done without anesthetic, and well, I well. was
1: in a terrific amount of pain. Yeah, I can imagine. It must have been awful, and that is one of the problems. When you're doing a procedure with local anesthesia and taking a while and having to augment the amount of anesthesia you're giving, you will run up to a point where you really are reaching the, the limit of how much you can give, and right. that. Drawback then, you're because you continue to give it for fear of having complications from the anesthesia, which is sometimes what happens with with these cases. So, you must have suffered awfully for the rest of that procedure.
2: I was, it was just in excruciating pain. Um, he was finishing, I could feel little pinpricks, so I'm pretty sure that maybe in other areas, like he was doing my eyelids, and Mm -hmm. um. I think that maybe he still gave me anesthetic as he proceeded in that area.
1: Right, I understand. Uh, And so finally the procedure is over and and your suffering is complete for that moment.
2: (laughs) But it went on because not so much the pain, but um, when I got home and was able to see what I looked like, my face was so bruised, my entire face. From the eyes down, I looked like, my daughter described me as um, a combination of Frankenstein, a zombie, and um, the Dark Knight from Batman.
1: Oh, my God.
2: I was so horrendous looking.
1: Um, There's always a healing process, but that that sounds pretty scary. Now, uh, when when the healing is all done, and you're no longer Frankenstein, of course, (laughs) uh, tell me what... Uh, what are the results like? How, how do you feel about end results?
2: The results were just not at all. I was happy with my eyes, and that was it. He did a good job on my eyes, but the, the facelift it, it itself, which is what they advertise, there was barely a difference. I still have gels. I still have a, a double chin. Um, I was so disappointed. And on top of that, the thing that really disturbed me was that from everything I've ever seen about a facelift, they pull the skin behind the ears, they take it behind the, the um, hairline, and it's a flat, um, uh, they stitch it flat to your skin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this he put, like, pleats behind my ears, and I still have them. They never have uh, completely flattened out like he said they they would. Um, I have these pleats behind my ears where he tucked the skin in.
1: Yeah, and you still, to this day, have that issue.
2: I still do, and I'm, um, uh, that was a big point of contingency with me. I had, for the first couple of months, it was actually really swollen and very noticeable. It's gone down a lot. It's not so noticeable now, but I always have these pleats behind my ears
1: yeah, where the skin that. is
2: just folded over.
1: Makes it difficult to wear your hair up, I would guess.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, so, um, my experience was unpleasant, and I, I never have been happy with my results. Did you go back and, and talk to them about oh, that? Oh, I talked to them a lot. <laughs> and what was um, they would just blow me off, you know. Actually, the funny thing is when I would come in for my post-operative um, examinations, When I came walking in the door with my bruised face, they immediately put me in a room so nobody else
1: could see me. Yeah, that seems to be the policy from a lot of people I've talked to. The way that they make their policy is, well, if you're pre-op, you go to a waiting area where everyone gets excited, and then if you're post-op, everyone goes to a different waiting area.
2: Well, if you're post-op and you have good results, they let you sit out there because when I was pre-op and I was waiting, there were several people who came in who had good results, and yes. they let them sit in the front room so people could admire them and see what a great job they did. For people well, like is, me who had terrible results, point. they so, ushered us into the back room as quickly as possible. Yeah, so I well, didn't even get a chance to sit down in the front. When I've they saw me coming, they found a room for me and put me back there.
1: Yeah, a lot of patients have said the same thing when I've been interviewing them for the show, and this is a, fair, a good point to make, uh, uh, to make a point here, a good, a good time to make a point, that Lifestyle Lift does have happy patients, and so we're speaking to people who are unhappy, but if you look on sites like realself.com at the overall uh, rate of happiness and the overall success rate of the procedure, and this is by patients who have had it and taken the moment to post things online, well, it's only about 50%. And that's an increase from where it was. I believe it was down as low as 30 or 35%. So you had a rough go, Marianne, and it sounds like things worked out reasonably well at this point to where you're not uh, ashamed to be outside, but you you probably have to be concerned about people noticing some of the signs of having had your surgery.
2: Oh, yeah. At least I have no bruising, no permanent bruising, or or horrendous scarring like I've seen in some... Photos of lifestyle um, lift
1: patients. Yeah, well, I'd say that uh, you know, all in all, uh, you're you're better off than than many.
2: <laughs> That's depressing isn't, to hear. Isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I have a surprise guest that we weren't expecting to have on the air again uh, last week, and Marion, you're welcome to stay with the show. Okay. Uh, if you're, if you're able to, you're welcome to stay and give your perspective as a patient to see if, you, if anything you know chimes and, and something in your memory. Uh, I want to welcome Dr. Prenneville back to the show. Dr. Prenneville, are you with us?
3: I'm here. Thanks for right. having me.
1: Uh, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking your time. Dr. Prenneville is actually on vacation and feels so strongly about helping get the truth out about things like the lifestyle that he's phoned in and is with us today again. Returning to the show now. At the beginning of the show, I don't know if you heard, but I replayed a short clip from last week where you were talking about the corporate practice of medicine, and uh, we we listened. You know, I read back some of the comments uh, that were in a letter. I know you received that same letter soliciting doctors to work for Lifestyle Lift. Yes. I also spoke with some doctors that used to work for Lifestyle Lift, and I want to share with everyone and yourself the comments that they made. And we're gonna, these are doctors that did not want to, uh, to be identified, so we're going to call it Dr. X and Dr. Y. Now, Dr. X is a very busy surgeon for Lifestyle Lift, did many, many procedures for them. And these are some of the comments that he shared with me, uh, said that, con- that Lifestyle Lift would continue practices that may not have been appropriate. That's a quote, they continue practices that may not have been appropriate. And these are things... That he In talking to me, he said he saw things that were being done, that he tried to get changed, tried to do things a little differently, and actually some of the bad practices were continued. And we spoke about some of the sales consultants and how their life was, and his comment to me was, well, this is a quote, they were under tremendous amounts of stress. A tremendous amount of stress were put on them. Uh, also, we talked about the consultations. So it wasn't always a doctor that uh, did the consultation, although he felt that in his office he always tried to uh, make sure the patients saw a doctor before committing. And Dr. Trenoville, I know this is something that, that you've heard from patients as well, not having seen doctors or not not having genuine information from a medical professional. I know we were talking about that on the last show.
3: Yes, uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's particularly concerning because, I mean, you know, I feel very sorry for the last patient that was on, and I'm sorry for the bad experience that you had, but... It's my feeling in general that a lot of people uh, who come to Lifestyle Look do so because of the advertising, and, and that's something we'd like to have them uh, address and change because, um, you know, as you and I know, this is not a revolutionary procedure. Uh, lifestyle Look is not really an advance in technique. Um, it's not what I would describe as something that's an amazing, uh, uh, tremendous new type of procedure. I mean, if you really think about it, if we could do a good job with the facelift in an hour, and uh, make all of our patients happy, we would certainly be doing it.
1: (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course. There's no question of that. And this is not just our opinion that we're sharing. In uh, in the previously covered story on uh, television news, the chief of facial plastic surgery at Emory University, this is Dr. Seth Yellen, his comment was that the procedure was, quote, nothing new, unique, or
3: different. Yes. And uh, uh, basically, I think what we would describe is sort of an advance in facelift technique would be something like the SMAS based technique from Mits and uh, Peroni in the 1970s, um, uh, or uh, Sam Hamra with his D-plane uh, composite facelift, uh, from, uh, uh, from a decade or two ago. But, uh, you know, a, a one hour procedure, which is essentially procedure, and, and I've talked to uh, other Dr. X's and Dr. Y's who have worked for Lysilis, and not necessarily bad people, but what they've said, is it's pretty much whatever you can do in an hour for the basic yeah, technique. that's
1: about right. That, that's the same information that I got. And this Dr. X that I spoke to said, you know, it was working on a volume model. And yeah. the volume right. model basically described it as, as this. He said, quote, it's a funnel. At the bottom is one surgeon. So the way he explained it to me was they were just trying to cram as many patients into the funnel as they could. They would make all the sales, and then it all kind of spins down into the funnel so as fast as one surgeon can work, as much work as one surgeon can do, that's how much got done. And, in fact, they boast on the number of procedures that they do. Uh, Cherie, you, you have something from their website that boasts. Tell us, what did you see on their website talking about the volume? Well,
2: on the Lifestyle Lift website, it says in bold print, it says Lifestyle Lift doctors perform more of these procedures in a year than most doctors do in a lifetime.
3: Yep. Yeah, and well, right. thought my comment, pretty... about that is, it's it's perfectly possible uh, to, to sing, uh, make the same mistake a hundred thousand times. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> volume yeah. itself is not uh, is not a, a qualification. Um, well, I did a, a facelift last strength. week and with uh, eyelid surgery, and it uh, took me about five and a half hours, and that's to do a job that I'm uh, pleased with that the patients to be happy with. Um, you know, we bear in mind that our patients uh, are going to follow up with us over the course of several years, and we want to see a happy person out in the community um, oh, cool. uh, saying good things about us. But on a volume model, you're not necessarily so concerned about that.
1: Yeah, it seems like the number one concern is making the sale, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. I just want to add a couple more comments. Doctor X mentioned to me that he had to consistently undo the marketing that was being done to try and, and make the patients educated. And at least he took the initiative to do that, but I don't think that's happening in many of the offices. He also said, and it's something that you were mentioning, Dr. Preneville, he said, quote, there's absolutely no consistency. It's just not uniform. Yeah. Talking about the different uh, offices doing whatever can be done under an hour, as you said.
3: Yes. Well, we know for a fact that there's never been an article published describing lifestyle lists. We also know for a fact that that Dr. David Kent has never published an article on facelift or any topic in facial plastic surgery, so we know that. that
1: Dr. Dr. David Kent is, is of course, the uh, person that invented the entity that is Lifestyle Lift.
3: I would describe it more as that he started the company and and started the concept of volume, uh, of uh, volume, uh, sort of uh, volume facelifting. Uh, that's, That's what Lifestyle Lift is. Lifestyle lift is not a revolution in, in technique. Um, and, you know, from my standpoint, you're, you're listening to what the, the, the previous patient just described, I mean, I think anesthesia is your friend. You know, my patients want uh, to have an ability to have a procedure without worry, without concern, without feeling pain. Um, one of the things that Lifestyle Lift has consistently done in the past is offered their procedure as a safer procedure, Okay. Now, that also, uh, from a factual standpoint, is not true. There is no statistical data anywhere to show that, that a procedure done under local anesthesia is necessarily safer than what, with uh, sedation in a patient who is healthy. And, uh, you know, issues uh, concerning preoperative screening, uh, you know, if we have a patient who has any issues, we want them to see their doctor or their cardiologist to make sure all of, all of the issues are buttoned up before we proceed with the surgical procedure. Yeah, I mean, clearly,
1: clearly, the number one concern is just getting a deposit, and I'll I'll show some examples of that. I mean, it, it's it's clear to me that that is the case based upon my investigation and the people that I talked to. We have one more patient holding. I'd like to get her on the line, uh, Madeline. Welcome to the show.
6: Yes, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for calling in. and We've heard a handful of stories already. Let us share yours. Tell us what made you go to the Lifestyle List. What was what was it you that you were seeking?
6: Well, I was 61 years old, and um, my neck was the trouble area there, and I just, out of vanity, wanted to fix it, and the the advertising is so misleading. It tells you, you know, in more or less an hour, you can do this, and I was under the impression it was kind of a mini facelift, and I wanted something that would last, and they said, oh, it'll it'll last for 10 years, and... And I didn't just want a facial or something. I wanted something that would really last and work. And so that's why I, I went.
1: <laughs> and when you had your consultation, did you meet with the doctor?
6: Um, I met with the doctor before, yes. I had to wait for about, the doctor was running really late to do a consultation. So I had to wait probably three or four hours. But I thought I, I just as well because I was there. So I did meet with her
3: So you before. did meet with-
1: you did meet with a surgeon, yes. and was it the same doctor that ended up doing the procedure? Yes. Because one of the comments that uh, Dr. X, and if you were listening to the show earlier, I was talking about a couple doctors, Dr. X and Dr. Y that I spoke to. Dr. X uh, mentioned that frequently it was not the same doctor at the consultation as it might have been in the surgery. If there, and, and many of these offices only have one doctor.
3: Mm-hmm. but In the
1: case where they have more than one, it, sometimes there was – some switch-offs, and you'll hear in a little while when we speak to someone who used to be a Lifestyle List employee as a sales consultant, uh, or I should say a physician consultant, as they monogram on their jacket, how, how that happened in the office where she worked. Mm-hmm. Now, you decided to have your procedure, and it came time for the procedure. You did the same thing, I'm guessing, as the other patients we talked to. You took your medications before getting in and, and signing the papers?
6: Well, um, oh, according to my notes, when I got in there, they gave me one Valium and one anti nausea drug about 10 or 15 minutes before they actually started the procedure. I didn't, as far as I remember, I did not take anything before that. And 10 or 15 minutes isn't really enough time to even have those drugs kick in.
1: Well, and what about, so, so it sounds like maybe you were one of the ones that signed the consent before you got your medication? I did, had-
6: I did, uh huh.
1: So that was done properly. This, actually, yeah. I think perhaps the first of the patients we talked to on the show that had the consent signed prior to medicating. Mm-hmm. And, and now you've got into the operating. Tell us about your experience.
6: Well, it's just uh, very different than what they ex- tell you to expect. You think you're going to be in there for an hour, and, and an awful lot of damage can be <laughs> done in an hour. Um, at first they, I'm just going to read from my notes here a little bit, um, they just put on a topical anesthetic, and then there was about 10 or 15 very, very painful, very painful shots all around the, the jawline and ears. And, um, and then I could feel I could feel uh, let's see here. I could feel them cutting and tight pulling. I, I didn't feel the pain, but I felt the sensation, which is really disconcerting. And, and then, of course, they wrap you up. And I honestly, I think my mine went as well as it could have, probably, all things considered. But it, it's, it's an awful lot more pain and time involved than they lead you to believe. It's really false advertising, I
3: think. So you were to- I'm sorry, this is Dr. Um you, you were basically told that this was uh, sort of an easy thing to do. Um, you'd be in and out, no worries, et cetera
6: according to their, their advertising, you know, and, and pretty much what they tell you in the office, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, afterwards, I couldn't chew for five to seven days. I could only have a liquid diet, and I experienced a huge amount of pain, especially the first two or three weeks. And, of mm-hmm. course, there was swelling and bruising, which is to be expected. And then I had one ear that was extremely sore. I couldn't hardly put my glasses on that ear, and then my neck was very tight and sore when I tried to turn my head for the first month and a half. So you know it is. And then there was, of course, there was numbness and tingling that probably lasted two years before that was completely better. So it's not an easy little procedure like they they advertise it to be. I think that's my main complaint.
1: Okay. <laughs> you think your results. How, what about the end results, though? Now that you're fully healed?
6: Well, um, I, can see some results. Um, I can see some results. I can see some results. I personally do not think the results are worth it at all <laughs> for what I went through.
1: Sure. Um, it sounds like you know you were just not prepared for the the length of a procedure that and the the amount of experience that you were you were getting into.
6: Right. Right.
1: Well, let's, let's shift gears here for a moment, and let's talk about uh, my my conversation with uh, someone we'll call Becky. Uh, Becky is a uh, is a was a physician consultant for Lifestyle List, and she didn't want to be identified. <clears throat> excuse me, she didn't want to be identified uh, by name, so we're we're using a, a false name for her. But I, I had the chance to interview her off the air. And uh, she did allow me to use that interview on the air. So I want to get to some of the clips from my conversation with Becky. Uh, we all talk about the, consult- the consultation, this whole business of physician consultant, and how patients just sometimes didn't understand what physician consultant was. And she described, you know, you, she spent time having patients watch a 40 minute video, as we've heard. They went through a PowerPoint discussion, and then sometimes the doctor would come in, but here, let's listen to, uh, to what Becky has to say. And we have a few of these clips. For joining the show.
5: Hi, how are you?
1: Well, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Becky, tell me when you started working for Lifestyle List. They hired you as a, a physician consultant. Isn't that the name?
5: What's the name of the position? It, it was that. It was physician consultant.
1: And we had patients tell us that folks like you would wear a white jacket in the office. Is that right? Correct. Now, the white jacket you wore also, that that was monogrammed as physician consultant, wasn't it? Correct. Do you ever find patients confusing you being either a doctor or nurse when doing the consultations?
5: Uh, more like confused as to why I was given the consultation as opposed to the doctor, and then the doctor would come in and basically go um, over the same thing that, we just spoke about.
1: So, you know, she also went on to talk about how uh, they, they would just, we were talking about the funnel earlier, Dr. Prenneville, uh, about yeah. how they would pack in as many patients as they could. And These were her comments about things that happened while doctors were doing operations. And some of our patients, actually, one of our patients last week after the show expressed to me, oh, gee, uh, you know, I wanted to mention how I, I know my doctor left the operating room a number of times during the procedure. Well, here's what Becky had to say about that. And then uh, some of the things that, that were kind of uh, questionable that we heard through the stories from patients, doctors leaving the operating room during procedures to go out and, and see consultations, did you see that going on as well?
2: I did, yes.
5: Yeah. Or, you know, a doctor doing one side while the other doctor did another side, one doctor leaving and the other doctor finishing up. I think it just made too many consultations. You know, there was only a couple of rooms and you had quite a few patients. You know,
1: so it was an in-out kind of thing. So she just basically expressed to me that they, she felt like there were too many consultations scheduled and the doctors weren't really always available. Sometimes they couldn't see a doctor, and, and if they could, a lot of times doctors were leaving patients on the operating table, going to see consultations, and then coming back to finish the operation. Now, we were talking about how it's important to make the sale first. These are some of her comments about that.
5: But before the doctor comes in, we basically know if they're going to proceed forward or, you know, that's when they start thinking a little bit. And then, you know, we have to uh, all of um, our rebuttal against whatever comes out of their mouth.
1: <laughs> so you are trained to have certain canned responses when they start asking a particular question?
5: Well, it's, uh, it's basically get the sale and, you know, the, you know, they want you to get the sale no matter what you have to say. Um, you know, you have people that have done this before, so, you know, they'll come in and they'll, um, they'll tell you this is what, this is what I want to pay. Um, you run their credit and then, you know, depending on what their credit, um, you know, how, what it comes back as, um,
1: you know, approved or not, you know, you go
5: from there.
1: Well, so it sounds like it was more important to qualify them financially than it was, as a surgical candidate. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, so. we,
5: had, we had a woman that uh, came in and she had all sorts of health problems
1: and, you know, we
5: still were supposed to make the sale.
1: You know, like, like we are talking about, really it seems like the sale is more important than uh, clearing the patient, making sure they're a good candidate, having the doctor spend time with them. The sales consultants, or the physician consultants, as they call them, spend far more time with the patients than the doctor. And was that your experience, ladies? Um, are you, yeah. are you speaking asking, with uh, me? Yes, I'm asking, I'm asking with you guys. Sorry. Uh, was it okay. your, Madeline or, or Marion, was it your experience that you spent more time with the, with the consultant than with the doctor?
6: Um, well, I... I, I spoke with the consultant, but I, I, I did speak with the doctor. Well, so Probably, you yes. You, you probably do spend more time with the consultant, yes.
1: Well, here's some of the things that she mentioned to me. was that uh, they, they were, she was instructed to get the deposit and get the contract signed no matter what it took. And, uh, in fact, her, her manager told her once to get the deposit, sign the contract no matter how you have to get it. That was her comment to me. They had to close 50% of the patients that they saw. This is what she told me. She had a 50% closing requirement, meaning if, if six patients came in, she had to sell three procedures or she was put on probation. They were under pressure to sell at least half of the patients coming in the office. So the sale was very, very important. This is some of the things she had to say about how much pressure and, and how crazy it was sometimes making the sale.
5: Mm-hmm. Wow. So all they cared about was um, just a huge sale, and um, I just felt like they should go home and talk to whomever they had to talk to before they can get the procedure. I think, you know, I think you need to um, take a few days to think about that. But their thing was um, they came here for a reason and make that sale. They're here. They're here now. Get their, get their money and sign that contract.
1: And just wait because the next few comments are at least were shocking to me. This is also speaking about making the sale and, and some some a story in particular that was just shocking
5: no matter how bad these um, patients' lives were we you know we're told to. Uh, you know, get to sale and, and ask them to sell something, you know, go on eBay. Uh,
1: wait, wait a second. <laughs> you mean that management told you that even if the patient yeah. didn't have money or couldn't qualify for financing, that you were actually instructed to go back to the patient and ask them if they could sell something to get money for the procedure? Yep. Now it gets worse. You'd just listen to this next short story that she tells about a patient looking for a lifestyle lift.
5: I told her, I said, the lady's living in her car. Well, she shouldn't be here then. She has money somewhere. She could sell something. I go, she lost her kids. Yeah, her yeah.
1: husband was abusive. Unbelievable. So uh, so you're telling me a lady that lost her, her her children because she basically was homeless and living in her car and had been abused by her husband and just came there really out of desperation. Your manager told you, go tell her to sell something so we can get a deposit?
5: Yeah, she, she even asked me, she goes, oh, if everybody has something to sell, I said she's living in her car. Well, I mean, it, you know, then what is she doing here? And I said, because her husband abused her, she even showed me a picture of when she was a model before she met her husband, and you know, I mean, can we do something for her? You know, like can we lower the price because she said that she just got she's getting a job and she's gonna live with her sister or something like that. And, and and she was just like, well, then she must have something to sell. you know, maybe maybe wait till she gets her job and she can come out
1: with a 400 dollar deposit. Becky, thanks for joining us. Isn't that amazing?
3: That's unbelievable. I mean, our first responsibility as doctors is to take care of patients and make sure that their health uh, is in proper order for procedures. Uh, but also we realize that, you know, not everybody is a candidate for the procedures that we have to offer. And uh, when patients come into my office, I actually prefer if they go home and think about it and have a few days to process what's been discussed before they decide to proceed. Um,
1: oh, absolutely. And I, I offer to have if they're not there with their spouse, have them come back with their spouse. If they have further questions, I, they can call the office or call me directly. I'm happy to speak with them afterwards. I have patients that come back sometimes two or three times or more to have various questions answered and to feel comfortable. Whatever everyone's process is, that's what they need to go through. But this sense of the high-pressure sale really needs to be removed. That is exactly what you and I were talking about. At the end of the last show, and then earlier in this show, is that corporate medical model, trying to make the sale at all costs.
3: Well, you asked me about, you know, standard of practice in the last show, and then clearly that is not the standard of practice. I mean, uh, patients that come in to see us are people, and they have to be considered, uh, all of the factors in their life, lives have to be considered. And that is the problem when a company uh, runs uh, uh, a medical practice, as Lifestyle Lift is doing. Um, clearly... Uh, There's not as much of an interest in um, how the individual doctor is perceived and how the patient is taken care of.
1: And there is a lot of variability. Depending upon which office you go to, where you go to get your lifestyle list. well, your experience is going to be a little different. And, And we're not saying that every office is behaving in this way and every doctor is getting these type of results of the patients that we're discussing. But it certainly is happening more often than should be to have a successful practice. If, if it was just if this were coming from a, a private practitioner in a community, I doubt they'd be in practice very long. And so exactly. we really shouldn't hold a business entity to a different standard. It's, it should be really a medical practice first and a business second.
3: Absolutely. Well, it appears to be you know the main motivation, as we've heard from that last uh interview is is profit and uh, of course um uh, everybody wants to make a profit but you have to do so in a way uh, that you're going to be perceived well and the patient is happy and the patient is safe and i've also i've known a number of physicians who have done lifestyle lift and you know some of them thought it was acceptable but i've i've also heard um uh, stories about high pressure sales and and patients with uh, very bad indications uh, sort of being uh, pushed upon the doctors and Doctors being, you know, forced to do procedures on, or not, not forced, but let's say encouraged to do procedures on, on patients who aren't necessarily good candidates. And as you know, if we do a procedure on a patient who's not a good candidate for it, they're not going to be happy. And uh, uh, the thing is that there is, is the system of checks and balances that normally exists in uh, a plastic surgery practice does not appear to happen here. And the problem is the way lifestyle lift defends itself is it sues everybody and anybody they criticize, they criticize them, and uh, that's something that's also got to stop. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode.
1: There were lawsuits to RealSelf.com, InfomercialScams.com, and uh, other. I think AgelessBeauty.com. I think was one of the sites. There were many sites sued, and I know you you personally have had some legal action against you.
3: Yes, I, I made. You know, I, I've given my opinions on. Real self about uh, about certain things, but lifestyle lift. For example, when patients ask, you know, what's the difference between a traditional facelift and a lifestyle lift, I've given my honest opinion, and uh, they they sued me for defamation and for trademark infringement in the state of Michigan. And uh, luckily, the lawsuit was dropped. But you know, I had to uh, you know pay out of pocket to uh, to defend myself for a certain portion of it, and. Basically, what it amounts to is when they're criticized, they wage uh, economic warfare against those who criticize them. And, well, you know, and this they, is this they, is a medical procedure, it. and we have opinions, and we care about our patients, and we're going to let people know that this is not this is not uh, as billed. And you know, I basically I had a conversation with David Kent uh, when he first called me to inform me of the lawsuit, and I told him I wasn't going to stop. I had no intention of stopping, letting p- uh, people know about what I have seen and uh, uh, some of the impro- inappropriate activities uh, that have happened uh, uh, to, to patients.
1: Well, these have been documented over time and time again, and it, they are under investigation, as we mentioned earlier, with the Florida uh, Office of the Attorney General. And yeah. you know that what they were found guilty of, I mentioned they had a $300,000 fine in New York, they were found guilty of doing something called astroturfing. Astroturfing is a take on the term grassroots. Grassroots recommendations are sort of things where patients themselves or people, if you're not talking about something medical, people are talking about things at, at their own level. They're talking amongst themselves, talking to their friends and family, and word spreads that way, getting around, sort of like grass growing up from the bottom. Uh, that's why they call it grassroots, getting to where it all starts and, and getting it out word by word, people you know, person to person. And... The term astroturfing is when that process is artificial, and what Lifestyle Lift was found to be doing was posting positive reviews online about the Lifestyle Lift to counteract some of the negative reviews that were being posted, and many of which have been posted by patients we've heard from on this show, and and there are many, many others. Now, this astroturfing, they were they were fined $300,000, and have uh, they claim that they have stopped doing that, and I certainly hope that that's true. But it's one of those things that's very difficult to police and monitor. And you're talking about a business that does a tremendous amount of revenue every year. So I'm not sure how much of a deterrent a $300,000 fine is. Now, I believe in response to this question about their integrity online, Lifestyle Lift has added something to their website. and It says they're talking about the Lifestyle Lift Code of Internet Conduct and Assurance, and they put a logo up there, and they say that as long as you see something with the logo, that information can, quote, can be relied upon as true and accurate. And they go on to say, if you have any questions, contact us. Well, what this is doing isn't really assuring of any information being true and accurate outside of Lifestyle Live. It's just saying that anything we post with this logo is true. But it doesn't account for anything that's posted without the logo. In fact, what it implies is that anything posted without the logo is not true. So they're trying in in this backwards way, and in my opinion, this is an attempt to discredit all of the negative reviews while appearing as though they're trying to make improvements in their their online integrity.
2: Does anybody else have this conduct um, assurance code? I mean, I've never seen this on any other site. Is this something they created, or where did they get this from? The state, the medical? Where, Where did it come up?
1: It seems like they created this seal to uh, to do just what I'm saying is what I'm guessing. that they're, they're creating the seal to show that anything that's posted by Lifestyle Lift that has that seal is true and accurate, but the implication is that the things that don't have the seal are not true and accurate, and of course anyone posting a negative review is never going to get that seal.
2: Well, so you know, in one way or another,
1: it just seems disingenuous. Uh, in, in the, the Internet uh, information that people can get. It, 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 they're, they're, it's concerning to me. that I, At least I, I have concerns that this behavior may still be going on. Uh, it's, it's, you, there's no way really to really know. And I hope that the, the Attorney General's office in the state of Florida is working hard to find that and, uh, to, to learn whether or not this is truly continuing or not.
3: And it's my understanding, uh, I have heard that another complaint has been submitted to the New York uh, Attorney General's Office about astroturfing because there is some suspicion that it is continuing um, uh, based on the, the number and, and frequency of recent positive reviews on RealSelf and other websites. Um, so, uh, I, think, um,
1: yeah, I think the take-home message here is you need to really do your homework, as we often say on this show. You have to do your homework and prepare to uh, to make the best choice that you can and look at all the factors. Don't be enamored with the idea of having a procedure done in an hour and uh, having a procedure done that you can go back to work right away. Uh, you know these things are, are exaggerations of the truth. As we've learned, there's been a lot of information that has been uh, talked about on this show. Don't even take this show's word for it. Look into it for yourself. Look online, read the reviews, and talk to people. And see, make, make an educated opinion. Go to see uh, surgeons that are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery. Make sure you're having qualified people do your work. And my recommendation is go to someone who's in their own private practice. You've heard it from a few of our patients on
3: the show. And I would recommend that you see a couple of people because, uh, um, you, you want to get, to, you want to see results that you like and you want to see a doctor who appears to understand your concerns and you, you want to see an office staff that appears that it's going to look after you. Um, so the other things I would say to summarize is, is that lifestyle lift is not a newer procedure, it's not a better procedure, and it's not a safer procedure. And yeah, these are all factually based statements.
1: Yeah, opinion. I think, I think, I think, uh, our, our listeners hopefully get the message. They're going to make good choices. I want to give out one number. The Office of the Attorney General in Florida, if you hear the show and you want to add your information to the investigation, it's 904-348-2720, and Mr. Gregory Jackson is the, the Assistant Attorney General that's doing the show. I want to thank everybody for coming on the show, uh, all of my, my guests, Linda, Marianne, and uh, Madeline. I want to thank Dr. Prendiville for surprising us and coming back, and I want to thank Becky especially for standing up and being willing to be recorded and have her information put out on the air. You decide for yourself after listening to this two-part episode, Lifestyle Lift. Is it a real lift or is it a letdown? We'll be back next week on New Reflections. Join us then, 12 to 1, Eastern Time, on the VoiceAmerica.com network. Thanks for joining us.
0: We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on new reflections please join your host dr adam rubenstein again next saturday at 9 a.m pacific time 12 noon eastern time you can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.